The O3C Podcast is a proud member of the HyperX Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to another episode of the O3C Podcast, coming to you from O3C Games. My name is Jonathan Dunn and I am joined by my friend and fellow friend, Christopher Dow. Sacrifice to the Lords of Offal. And we are chatting about video games that we bloody love. Announcement! Announcement! Do you like this show? Perhaps you've listened to it before. Perhaps you've never listened to it and this is your very first time. But if you've stuck around for a few weeks at least and you fancy just saying thank you for all this great content we put out week on week on week on week on week, then there's a few things you can do. Firstly, if you just want to indulge us in reading or watching or taking part in some other bits and bobs that we put together over the years, check out our website at o3c.games. On there, you'll have links to our social media channels. You'll have articles, reviews. You have some videos from YouTube. You have some bits and pieces and photos and Instagram gubbins and bobbins and all sorts of other things that perhaps you'd enjoy. If you'd like to support us in a financial way, what you can do is pop over to patreon.com slash O3C games and there you'll find links to pledge anything from a pound an episode or four pounds a month to say cheers and in return you'll find bonus episodes, deleted scenes and for this season video counterparts unedited and ad free for every episode that we put out. It goes a long long way to helping us continue doing what we do. It does take time believe it or not to put together a show every single week but we love it and we hope that you do too. And Patreon is a way to say cheers, keep it up and do more. Introducing the new HyperX Cloud Stinger 2. The Stinger 2 is a refined evolution of the classic Cloud Stinger and keeps the fan favorite 90 degree rotating ear cups, comfortable memory foam cushions and the swivel to mute microphone. It also features two years of DTS headphone X activation for upgraded sound localization all while keeping the great price of the original Stinger. That's right, get the new Cloud Stinger 2 for only 50 bucks. Now isn't that nice? Available online at Amazon, Best Buy, Walmart, and of course, HyperX.com. So, uh, did you end up in hospital this week? No, hospital free. Hospital free zone. Me too, me too. Fantastic, great. Well done. We, you know what? We're, we're off to a better start to this season than I feared we might be. <laughs> <laughs> Last week, me and Chris reported back on our first Fortnite challenge where we chatted about how we got on with Bleed and Machinarium. And uh, next week, we will be reporting back on our next Fortnite challenge where I will have played Castle of Illusion starring Mickey Mouse and Quackshot starring Donald of the Duck. And Chris has been playing... (laughs) X versus Sever on the bloody Game Boy Advanced. Starring X and Sever. (laughs) But that's next week. Really looking forward to that, by the way. But this week, we are back with another Playdate episode. Playdate, the cranky little handheld that could by Panic. And we are going to be chatting about the next two games that have been released in the Playdate's first season. Those are Boogie Loops and Crankin's Time Travel Adventure. And we're going to be telling you all about those games and how we've got on with them. But before we do that, let's stick to the present. And that is what we've been playing In the past seven days. (laughs) What are you buying? What are you playing? Chris, 
what have you played in this last week? First up, I finished Machinarium. Yay! I got to the well end. done. And overall, I got through the whole game using hints only on the puzzle that I moaned about last week <laughs> and the Sokoban-style push puzzles in the arcade, as they mm. genuinely felt a level harder than any other logic challenge in the entire <laughs> game. I don't yeah. know why, I just could not wrap my head around what it was asking me to do. And I, I think I finished the first two out of five stages and then was just going around in circles thinking like, I will never pass this stage. So I used it there and then got to the end pretty much the same evening. So a nice game. Yay! As the real review for, for Machinarium, as soon as the credits started to roll, I ordered the soundtrack on vinyl. Yes! Yes! <laughs> and as such, as I mentioned last week, it's very much a game to play for the audiovisual aesthetic and experience first and foremost. And then the adventure and the puzzles are kind of just a nice side dish. But it's a good time. It's a good time. On the Steam Deck, I've not really started anything new, but I have jumped between a few games that I've talked about before. So nothing that fresh, to be honest. As we record today, I've just come out of the last week of the term before my break for school. And therefore, I had quite a busy few days trying to organise things and action things before this little chunk of respite. So I didn't really have hours each evening to, to play much, to be honest. I did play Hot Shots Racing, the flat-shaded polygonal virtual racing-inspired game by Sumo oh, Digital yeah. that I played on the Switch originally that was really good, and it's equally good on the Steam Deck. I didn't rebuy it specifically. I haven't kind of got the sickness that badly, mm-hmm. but I think I got it in like a monthly Humble Bundle at some point in the last year or so. I'm pretty sure it's built on the Sonic Racing engine, and it feels super slick. Uh. It doesn't have the power-ups of that game because it's more of a, a pure arcade racer, and therefore it's more of a test of racing skill over just playing your luck against crack shot cpu characters so it's it's a nice time and again racing games are nice because i can play it for five minutes or i can play it for an hour it's a good time when you're a bit busy now i also went back to darius burst chronicle saviors one of the games yeah. that just entered my top 100 at the end of last season the widest screened game ever the ridiculously widescreened love it and i mentioned this because i recently got a third party dock for the steam deck uh, about a week prior to valve releasing their own so in a very prescient purchase, I picked it up literally seven days or so before <laughs> Valve said we've got our own. But it does the job perfectly. It costs half as much as theirs, so I'm not going to worry about the branding. But the reason I bring it up really is because alongside the dock, or very recently, the Steam operating system was updated to give you far more control over what gets output from your deck to external displays. Because for a long while, it was just tied to what the screen was doing. That's what you get. And fiddling around with that, Darius Burst runs at a locked 4K60. That's incredible. <laughs> Although it's not a visually intensive game per se, because originally it was like on the PSP and it's been just upscaled over the years and, and tarted up and whatever. I just can't believe that's possible from a handheld device. <laughs> like, ridiculous. You're not going to be running every game out of the box at 4K. A lot of titles, to be honest, will struggle even in the jump from 720 to 1080. Yeah. Because that in itself is over double the resolution when you're counting pure pixels so don't be surprised a game that runs perfectly smoothly when in a handheld mode just shits the bed when you try <laughs> and push it harder so something like forza horizon 4 is not going to suddenly look amazing it, it's going to be 720 and you're going to enjoy it <laughs> but for a lot of older games it's absolutely worth messing around to see what you can achieve because the deck is just such an absurdly powerful thing for its form factor and it's still like i've had it now for four months or so it's still surprising me most days with kind of new <laughs> things I find that it can do. The other little Steam Deck adjacent task that I've undertaken over the last few weeks has been to try and organize a classic arcade emulation setup. Oh, wow. And this is a, a teachable moment here 
<laughs> some background information for anyone not hugely versed in emulation. Can we get a drink? <laughs> <laughs> if you take a machine like the Mega Drive or the Game Boy or anything like that, for example, an emulator aims to replicate all the potential functions of the hardware so that any ROM you feed it can be interpreted as accurately as possible. And therefore, once the core emulator is built, 95% of a library will just work as if you've put a cartridge in or a CD in because you've done the legwork to make the virtual machine sort of thing. In the case of arcade hardware, of the 30,000 games that MAME, that is the multi-arcade machine emulator, the acronym, the 30,000 games it supports, I'd say 28,000 of them need bespoke emulators or at least bespoke emulator variations to run. Well, yeah, it's like having, yeah, 30,000 different consoles. (laughs) And as such, it takes a bit of fiddling and a bit of management to get things up and going. Now, that's not to say you or I would even want to run all this stuff because tens of thousands of these games are like fruit machines or pachinko machines or obscure Japanese gambling machines. And a bunch that are supported in as much as their ROMs are recognized don't even actually boot yet either because MAME has been a project ongoing for about 20 or so years now. It's an infinite project. They're never going to get to the end of replicating things as accurately as they want to, but they have these milestones where it's like, oh, it now recognizes this many more machines or whatever else. So a lot of these games as well, like the hardware maybe hasn't been emulated yet in terms of like it needing a steering wheel or some other kind of bespoke input device. So it could well get stuck even before you get to a title screen. And so because of all these things, my first job was to try and trim the library into something that was just more manageable to start with, because 30,000 potentially broken fruit machine games was not what I needed to fill my Steam Deck with. So I've got it down initially to 3,000 machines. So quite a drop. But this in itself caused lots of its own problems, owing to another thing that MAME does, which is it sometimes piggybacks off one ROM's emulation to load another. So another teachable moment for us today. Where's my drink? <laughs> Have a sip. The way the MAME library denotes each game is that it can be a parent or it can be a clone. So a parent ROM would be something like the original Pac-Man. So taking the original release of that game... That is then necessary to have in your library if you want to play any of the hacks or variations like Mrs. Pac-Man that were kind of connected to it. I believe it's Ms. Pac-Man. Ms. Pac-Man, yes. Unmarried, unmarried, or or just unspecified, unspecified. Independent. So yeah, that type of game or other games that perhaps released to be like converted from an original board sometimes will need that as well. So because of that, in skimming my library down from the initial 30,000, I did save about 80 gigabytes of space on my SD card, which is great. But I also managed to break an awful lot of these parent-clone relationships because I didn't know what I was getting rid of and what it was then going to have a problem with later down the line. And so my job now is essentially to carefully, ROM by ROM, investigate what I do or don't have, what I need to install, what I need to go and find again, and what I need to link up to actually play the library I want to have. It's quite a job. Yeah, <laughs> it's quite a job. Me. There's other considerations as well, like the Simpsons Arcade Machine, for example... Originally, it came in either a four-player cabinet where each set of controls defaulted to one of the Simpsons family. So player one is always Marge, for example. But then later, it had a two-player cabinet that also had like a character select. And because I want the two-player version so I can actually enjoy the game fully, I need the four-player version because that's the parent ROM to actually facilitate having both. So there's a lot of kind of thinking, oh, oh, there we go, that'll solve the problem. And then trying to boot it and a message would come up and go, you don't have this. And then I go... Right, back to the folder then, back to dragging something else in. And it can be a frustrating experience sometimes, but I've now done the first thousand or so games. Jesus. <laughs> Just any time I've got a few minutes yeah. spare. 
And if nothing else, it is a lot of fun just discovering arcade releases I've just never heard of because there's yeah. such a huge library. Like, I love going to the arcade club. I love playing this stuff in person. But arcade games just have such a unique flavor. And it mm. doesn't seem to matter what era you draw from, whether that's the late 70s all the way to the early 2000s. There's fun to be had in almost every single title, whether or not they are good games. As long as you are viewing them as something that's just intended for a quick five-minute play, that the machine is essentially just trying to steal your money as quickly as possible and, and drain your, your pocket money yeah. purse, you're probably going to have a decent time because all of them are, are quite bombastic. And even the really early games that are super limited have something that can be quite addictive about just trying to learn a system and get better at it. This whole job is probably going to take me a while to finish. <laughs> oh, yeah. But the manual curation alongside kind of the artwork I'm then scraping down for the emulation station front end it's just going to make my Steam Deck the coolest arcade in the world. So <laughs> it's, it's worth doing. And yes. for you, it means that when it is done, next time I see you, I can just copy and, copy paste, and paste the whole thing. Yeah. And I'll be like, yeah, I got this up and running, guys. <laughs> <laughs> Easy. It's a hell of an undertaking. And I know that, I mean, as a, as a ratio between time it's going to take to get this stuff all running versus time you're going to spend playing the stuff. Yes. I reckon we're probably thinking like 99 to 1. <laughs> I was going to say charitably, it's got to be 10 to 1. But realistically, we're looking at probably 50 to 1 plus. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Definitely. But this is the game, isn't it? The curation is part of it the is. game for me. Yeah, yeah. You're all about the meta game. <laughs> Have you done something more productive with your time this week? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, in terms of getting games running, no, because I've only actually played one game this week. Did it run? It did. Yes, then, it did. Then in terms of output, <laughs> you know, that's one to one. Exactly. I, I like to keep my ratio very, very high. So, you yeah, know, we're, we're good. We're good there. So when, when I started putting together my notes, I think last week I started putting together my notes on, on the Playdate games. And I just wrote here, Mario and Rabbids, Sparks of Hope, because I knew that was coming out and was surely going to take my, my full attention. Unfortunately, the day before Sparks of Hope came out, I decided to start playing through the Resident Evil 2 remake. And I forgot just how gosh darn addictive those games can be. And uh, <laughs> I haven't touched Mario and Rabbids yet. Oh, but poor old Mario. I know, I know. And I'm really looking forward to playing that. But I have played Resident Evil 2. And I had it installed already on my Steam Deck uh, with a nice big green deck verified tick. And uh, it's just a really good fun game. Fortunately, it's the modern Resident Evil setup in the remake rather than the horrible fixed camera tank control debacle <laughs> of, you know, the original trilogy and yeah. even, you know, Resident Evil 1 remake and then the Resident Evil 1 remake remake. But the Resident Evil 2 remake feels proper 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 modern it's a totally from the ground up total reinvention of it i believe it's built on the the re engine which resident evil 7 and resident evil 8 have been built on performance on the deck is pretty solid the graphics were a bit vaseline -y, which uh isn't a huge problem because like the atmosphere that's created with the lighting and bloom and shadows and everything is, is still there and it it covers a lot of the smudges although there was a puzzle uh, where i had to read the nameplates of some police officer desks because the initials of the names 
were a code to a padlock. Of course. It was very, very difficult to read them uh, because they ended up so low resolution. <laughs> uh, but it, it was workable enough. that They were all pretty basic names. It wasn't like, you know, sort of Kevin with a silent P or something. Although I, I have since discovered the brilliant website, Steam Deck HQ, which has got guidance on the best settings for each game on the deck. Yeah. And like, my goodness, it's such valuable information for getting the most out of games and the system. My graphical experience probably could have been a fair bit sharper if I'd have found this website sooner, because it's not just telling you about the game settings, but it also tells you the best Steam Deck settings that you have set up to run the game. So it's like really sort of peak tweaked, peak tweakers, <laughs> I believe. Yeah. I did get the official Steam Deck dock because I, I love I love my logos to match, let's be yeah. honest. And uh, if nothing else, to be honest, it's just really nice to have a wired internet connection into it to download games because for some reason I still haven't been able to unthrottle my download speeds over Wi-Fi on my Steam Deck and they downloaded about two megabyte a second despite the fact that I'm on like a one gigabyte line. (laughs) But as soon as I plugged in the wire, it was like, oh yeah, 100, 100 meg a second, brilliant, there you go. And I was downloading things very, very quickly, which was great. I did try to run, because I've got a 2K monitor in my office and I've got the dock rigged up to that. I tried to run Resident Evil 2 through it just to see. I I knew it would would struggle with it. But uh, running it through that, it didn't even give me the option to change the resolution any higher than uh, 720. I can tell you how to fix that. How? (laughs) If you pick a game, the little cog icon before you load it up that's on kind of the main page... I think there's an option that could just be called display output or resolution or something. Oh, okay, yeah. And if you set it to native, it will mean that when it's on the deck itself, it will only ever go up to, was it 800p, I think it goes as max. And then whatever device it's plugged into, you'll then be able to pick Uh, that option in game to save whatever it is. So otherwise it's always in Steam Deck mode. So it's just expecting that it's only got to get to that level. I assumed it would be something like that. The big thing between, for instance, the Switch and the Steam Deck is there isn't that same level of just like, oh, in it goes and there it is yeah because there's always going to be that limit because it is just it's a computer it's just a computer that happens to be in the shell of a console and because of that without kind of some serious back-end fiddling i think valve would struggle to have something that's as streamlined while still giving people the power to faff about like i've enjoyed doing so much yeah so it's they're, they're trying to take that balance of saying okay it's pretty convenient and it will run a lot of games out of the box and, and you'll have a nice time but then you need to kind of just know a little bit more about how things work to actually get the most out of some of these devices. So yeah, it doesn't replace the Switch, like I said, when I first got it. Oh God, no. The Switch is still very much the convenient thing if you're just thinking, simple game, I want to play it now, I want to play it on the TV next, I want to take it out, I want to come back home and know it's all just going to work. Yeah, unless that game is Resident Evil 2, because you can only play that on the Switch in a cloud version. (laughs) Which is is absolutely unacceptable. Yeah, absolutely. Don't even give the offer. Don't even give the offer. The game Resident Evil 2 is is great. It's really nice to have full control of the camera, uh, which is different even to Resident Evil 4 and Revelations, where the camera is fixed behind your character over the shoulder. And obviously Resident Evil 7 and 8 that are only playable in first person at the moment until the Resident Evil Village DLC comes out and you'll be able to play that in third person, which I'm looking forward to, to replaying the game. Having that full control of the camera, that, that does help make the games feel just more open and enjoyable to control, which yeah. is obviously something that, you know, the Resident Evil games have massively struggled with, uh, moving from like tank controls of the original to over the shoulder stuff in Resident Evil 4, which I, I still really, really liked. 
that sense of claustrophobia then was still there Resident Evil 4 because you were still a little bit sort of tied in with, with how you could control and where you could see. But certainly playing these games in a modern context, it's really, really great to have proper, full, fluid control of your character and your camera in these beautiful, fully realised 3D environments and no loading times between rooms with door animations in this. And, <laughs> yeah, It's just so much nicer to navigate around the world. It has still got that sense of claustrophobia, though. Resident Evil 2 trades in a spooky mansion for a spooky police station. And there's plenty of winding corridors, collapsed passages and ceilings and locked doors to make you feel trapped. And, you know, you've got zombies rapping at the windows to get in and dead bodies coming to life after you've passed them once and check that they were definitely dead. There's a, you know, there's a terrible sense of, of dread when you spot that there's a room on the map marked kennels oh dogs zombie dogs zogs plenty of grossly advanced <laughs> disfigured monstrosities to keep things scary and offer a change of pace over the you know the lumbering police officer corpses uh, later on in the game you find even more hideous things when you discover the secret laboratory conveniently built underneath the spooky police station oh naturally there's always one <laughs> <laughs> but i i just really enjoy the core gameplay of these games like I, I like the strict inventory management uh the sort of almost point and click style puzzle solving the slowly expanding map the need for careful ammo usage and tactical thinking there's some lovely little quality of life things in this game like the way the the map now keeps track of where items and puzzles are left so you just sort of know where you're at all the time uh, and it's just really it's much much easier to sort of maintain a, a train of thought when you're trying to solve a puzzle or explore a certain area and just know where you need to get back to and yeah it's really really slick it's uh well i mean i had no problem playing through the game to completion in i think wasn't huge. Eight hours, I think. Yeah. I don't know if this was because I was playing on a handheld or whether I didn't have any nostalgia for the original because I never played it. I didn't find the game that scary at all. <laughs> and I, I know a lot of the atmosphere that's created in these games uh, that, you know, I know you struggle with, Chris. That will have been diluted from me playing it in handheld and with the yeah. sound not always cranked up. But certainly an element of the game that I only found out when I was reading reviews of the game after after I'd completed it. There's just loads of people raving about the Mr. X enemy. Yeah. And that was the first thing you you messaged me when I said, I'm playing Resident Evil 2. And you're like, oh, how's Mr. X? And I'm like, <laughs> who? Never heard of him. Never heard of him. But he's he's this like big old indestructible hulking mass of a monster who starts stalking you maybe about, I don't know, halfway through the game. Certainly in the police station when you're running around, you can you can hear his like clomping footsteps approach. And then he'll suddenly be on the other side of the door to give you a spook. You can't kill him, but you can... I mean, if you fire off a few rounds into his head, then he'll he'll stop for a bit. He's not very quick, so he's, he's quite easy to outrun. And it's the sort of thing that would be scary under pressure when you are playing the game in its original form, probably with tank controls. You can't really control your character. Your character's changing direction every time you change scene because of the perspective change. And then he's there or whatever, and it probably would have been. But like, I felt in such full control of my character that you know, I, I didn't have a problem just sort of, even if I was just like luring him into like a dead end so I could then run past him and find myself, you know, a bit more distance between him. But the, the main thing is that I found his visual design just quite silly. <laughs> <laughs> Mostly because cause he's wearing a hat. Hats are silly. Well, it's just very funny that at some point he made the sartorial choice. <laughs> To put on a hat, that was a part of his day. He put on a big trench coat and went, 
I'm going to wear a hat. <laughs> or if it wasn't him, someone at some point made the definitive decision to put a hat on him. <laughs> Maybe when he stalked someone else. They ran out of ammo and all they had was just like a latent fedora. Maybe it was Michael Flatley. <laughs> Michael Flatley panicking, his legs failed him, throws his hat out of the river of flames and, uh, and Mr. X goes, now I'm the Lord of the Dance. That is I mean, an act worthy of Blackbird himself. <laughs> <laughs> you even get a little steam achievement pop up if you shoot his hat off. <laughs> it's nice there's a sense of humour to it. it. It is, but it just basically rendered him comical for me right from the start of his introduction, and that never wore off. <laughs> Certainly the other thing that nostalgia hasn't taken the edges off is some of the hokier dialogue in the game. Yeah, I know like the original games, they're all you know really lent into their sort of B-movie-inspired origins, and apparently, like the dialogue has been improved upon from the original, but the, the trouble is, like now that these games are a lot slicker, they're a lot more realistic in their presentation. Those cheesier bits just really stand out, and and honestly, it's the same with Resident Evil Four. Like when I replayed that not too long ago, it, it's the only bit of the game I can criticise. There's appalling dialogue and character yeah. choices that are yeah. at best misogynistic, at worst. <laughs> Very problematic. <laughs> I, I know that Capcom have openly said that that is an area of the game that is specifically going to be addressed in the Resident Evil 4 remake that's, that's coming out next year, which I'm, I'm so, so looking forward to. But yeah, got nothing, nothing really but good things to say about Resident Evil 2. It was really good fun. You can play through the game as Claire Redfield, as well as uh, Leon Kennedy. I've done the Leon Kennedy campaign. Although when I was, again, reading some some reviews and chatting to a friend of the podcast, Yoan Gwyn, about the game, he said that there's really not that much difference between the two campaigns. Like there are moments in your in your story when you're playing as Leon where you will bump into Claire at the start, you bump into her a couple more times and, and at the end, and you get the sense that there's there's a whole other story going on you know different location she's stuck somewhere else doing a whole load of different things and you get these couple of little points of convergence but apparently that's not the case you basically end up playing through the same locations doing most of the same puzzles and there's a couple of little different things and a slightly different final boss uh, and that i don't know it, it put me off playing through the game again because i would have happily played through the game again if it meant seeing a whole other side of the game because it's just really good fun to play but yeah i don't know i, I can't really be bothered to do that certainly not right away Anyway, but I have moved straight on to Resident Evil 3, which I had, <laughs> had already bought. It was already downloaded. It's, in inverted commas, unsupported on Steam Deck, but through putting in some settings that I found out on Steam Deck HQ, it's running absolutely fine. In fact, and, and because I'm actually using recommended settings that have been sort of checked and, and, and maximized, it looks so much better than Resident Evil 2 was looking when I no played. More Vaseline. Significant lack of Vaseline playing as Jill Valentine. I think the subtitle of Resident Evil 3 was Nemesis. Yeah. Uh, because there is essentially a Mr. X type character right from the start of the game that's basically pursuing you for the whole game um, because they sort of lent into that, which some people liked, some people didn't like. And the nice thing about this game is it's, it's already a lot faster. Like Jill just moves and operates a lot faster. So I'm feeling more comfortable to sort of outrun and outmaneuver sort of enemies and stuff. And apparently the game's even shorter than Resident Evil 2, though. It's like six hours. So Ten minutes. Yep, 10 minutes. That's it. <laughs> I'm liking the momentum that the game's got. It's not quite the fully action-orientated experience that Resident Evil 5 and 6 became, but it feels more action-focused, um, and it feels more like you're playing through these these set pieces, which is which is great. But there's also nice exploration, because you're 
you're out of the spooky mansion, you're out of the spooky police station, and you're just in spooky Raccoon City. <laughs> little bit of touch of open worldiness to to to, to that, and and lots of cool little sort of things to explore and find. So yeah, unfortunately for Marion Rabbids, I'm probably just going to carry on playing Resident Evil Three. But good news for Marion Rabbids, I'll probably be finished with Resident Evil Three in about five hours' time. <laughs> <laughs> It's a play date. 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 So uh, we're back chatting about the play date. This yes, is exciting. Last time in our play date, our first play date, we chatted about the first two games that were released, which were Casual Birder and White Water Wipe Out. Week two arrived with the play date, and two more games arrived. And the first of those is Crankin's Time Travel Adventure. Now, this was one of the games that I'd seen quite a bit of. Uh, it, it almost felt like it, it was a bit of a mascot for the Playdates first season, yeah. I think, yeah. because of the, the design of the character. And, you know, it, it might have just been an image of the game that caught my eye and kept catching my eye. But it certainly felt like one that they were they were quite sort of happy to, to promote. And it was one I was looking forward to playing. Uh, so, yeah, it was I, I, I didn't know what order... The games were coming in. I still don't know, you know, all of the games in the season. I've seen a few little clips of various things and read a few little bits and bobs, but it was a nice surprise to, to have Crankin arrive so so soon in the season for me. So the basic premise of the game, you are a man late for a date. And you <laughs> I thought you were gonna say late forties. I don't know what late forties. <laughs> it's, like, it's never communicated. We just picked up enough signs. Yeah, sort exactly. of vis- visual characterization. This is a man, he's uh, hit middle age. Yeah, there was a sense of desperation <laughs> and a sort of a lack of hope in his eyes that said, Yeah, I I, I need to, I need to do something with my life. Yeah. And yeah. you need to get to your date as quickly as you can whilst avoiding increasingly difficult sets of obstacles. Uh, to avoid that are seeking to slow you down en route to your date. Such things as birds flying at you, pool on the path, (laughs) the sort of things you have to avoid every day, (laughs) the occasional hurdle, literal and possibly metaphorical. And you're using the crank, the playdate's crank, to control the automation of your chap running down the road. But what you're really controlling is time. And cranking faster will make his animation go faster. Cranking it slower will have him slow down to the point where his animation might have him frozen in the air for as long as you want. You can even rewind by cranking backwards. And the reason you have this control over your big strong boy is because <laughs> is because the obstacles coming at you are not bound by time. So if you got a bird flying at you, you may need to stop your bloke's animation while he's jumping over a fence hold him there so the bird flies under you and then you can keep cranking to get him to the next obstacle or if there is a poo running toward you like you can you can make sure you time his animation so the poo falls in between his natural gate it's very very funny (laughs) (laughs) 
admittedly, I have genuinely found it funny every time a poo came at me. Yeah, it, it's very clever and uh, but also very simple in its in its setup, and it's a head scratching puzzle mechanic in a way that I haven't really experienced in a game before. And again, yeah. that comes down to the brilliance of the Playdate's hardware, the crank, how you use it, and the marvelous way that you know the developer of of cranking has has chosen to implement it. It also felt very Wario wary as well. Yes, yeah, yeah. For sure. It really builds well on its on its concept and, you know, fully explores all the different things that it can do within those parameters. And I think hopefully, well, well I think it's going to be a common thing that we praise in, in the better Playdate games is it doesn't outstay its welcome. It kind of knows when it's done its thing and then it ends. Although I haven't got to the end, but I... I... <laughs> it's really hard. It's really it fucking is hard, hard, isn't it? I, I've, really got to about, I've got to about level... I don't know, 13, 14, something like that. Yeah, I think I'm I'm up towards twenty or so. Oh, wow. Okay. So a yeah. few few beyond you. Yeah. Whew. Well, you've done well. But um yeah, I, I really like it. It's it's yeah, it's the sort of game that it just works really well on the play dates. It's pick up and playable. You can very easily just have a couple of attempts at a level and then put it down again, or you know, you can you can settle in for a session, really sort of really nail it and make a fair bit of progress. But it's just nice. It's nice. And it's nice to think about games in a different way. You know, it's nice to think about how you solve a puzzle in a in a different way, uh, especially when you've got the control being that immediate. You know, it's um, you don't have to think about, oh, I've got to wind my analog stick counterclockwise to wind it back. It's even though it's such a, it, that is such a small difference in terms yeah. of how you would control this game if it came out on the switch. That's how you do it. You, you wind your control stick one way or the other way. But just having it in a slightly different physical form just changes the entire perspective of how it works and changes your enjoyment of it. Cause I wouldn't enjoy it if I was just, you know, in the same way as winding it backwards or forwards, I'd be like, Oh, why can't I just, I don't know, press a, or why can't I like, <laughs> sl- why can't I use a slider or something? But yeah. the crank just, it just works, just works. How did you get on with it, Chris? The highest praise I can give is that this should have been one of the week one games. Definitely. In terms of, really being a showcase for the hardware this is a much better selling point than whitewater wipeout for example that still used the crank it still showed you know what this kind of input method does differently but this game has has content it has kind of something to actually explore in a bit more detail it just feels like there's more to it as you said it's just such a unique game in terms of how it uses its input in a really clever way because it's readable and understandable within two seconds you know exactly what you're meant to do but at the same time it's got this like you say the, the warrior wear kind of anarchic disruptive spirit and i think that mm-hmm. is a big part of what panic have tried to embody all along with the play day you know it's, it's meant to be something that disrupts the industry in as much as a little handheld can because it's so very different to everything else that is on the market it's a long game like we said in terms of actually having mm-hmm. a number of levels to get through neither of us have beaten it like we said, haven't got to the end of it. It's not for lack of trying, <laughs> but it's because there's this really interesting pairing, I guess, of every level is a puzzle in that you're trying to figure out, okay, well, how do I negotiate these obstacles? But also it becomes skill-based too, because you are mm. thinking about these kind of really tiny movements with the crank. You're moving just slightly backwards and forwards. A lot of the time you can kind of see what you need to do, but then it's as much about kind of nailing the physical part of it as it is understanding the, I guess, metaphysical timeline of cranking's journey like moving from a to b and there's been a fair few stages that i've got quite stuck on because like i say i've I've figured out what i need to do but then it's kind of actually putting that into action or or realizing that it's like well i clearly need to jump over this thing 
but I might not have even checked the animation enough because I might have sped through a previous obstacle to not realize that, okay, when he sits at a picnic bench, he actually fucking hurdles the chair before he gets into it. And that's, <laughs> yeah. the, that's the point something's going to pass under you or something along those lines. Yeah. It's got, I think out of all the Playdate games I've played, the best sound design as well. Mm, uh, because nice. it is stupid. It's really stupid. And everything is tied to these like dumb noises and samples. A lot of it, I think, is just like people making sounds. It, it mm. sounds very much just like someone in a booth going like, can you just make some silly farty noises? Or <laughs> can you make some strange bird sort of noises and just seeing what they can do? And it's got a real cartoon feel to it. It is designed, I don't know if you knew this, it's designed by the guy who did Katamari and Nobby Nobby Boy. I did not know that. So uh, Kita Takahashi, uh, and he's not really had that storied a career, but you can really see, once you have that knowledge in mind, if you go back and look at just a minute of footage from Katamari, you can really see that kind of willful strangeness has come across into this new format. And I think that's very much the type of designer that Panic need to court for these sort of seasons if they intend to go on with this model beyond this one it's got to be the people that they think are going to approach this in in a different way because i think it really benefits just having this different handheld with very different experiences on it and like you say it's not something you would have played if it was just on the pc or if it was on the switch it fits the bespoke hardware with its bespoke design agreed what was the other game the other game it was Boogie Loops oh looping boogies our first application i guess in that it's not so much yeah. a game because it is a music sequencer. And it might seem silly, but Boogie Loops is the game or application that I've put the most time into since receiving my play date by yeah. quite a remarkable amount, actually. <laughs> and it is only a simple chip tune sequencer. You can craft small looping bits of music using quite a limited combination of you've got two synth voices, kind of a bass voice and a treble voice, essentially. You've got a simple percussion setup as well, like a four-channel sort of drum machine. And when it's complete, on top of that, you can make some little sprite characters dance. And that is the long and short of it. And yet it has become almost ritualistic to whip out the play date whenever I've had a few minutes over the last month or so now to just put together a little crunchy four-bar loop or make a nice little groove and then just pop it away until the next time I'm bored or waiting for food to cook or I'm sat on a train or I'm having a shit or whatever. <laughs> and <laughs> as limited as it can be, for sure, and it does have issues as well with performance, can sometimes be a bit laggy, especially when you're actually composing things, which is probably due to these giant dancing sprites. It'd be nice if you just turn them off whilst you're composing for that yeah. reason. But I've had such a nice time working within the limitations of the thing to make interesting little snippets of music. Because as much as it is limited, you can set the key loosely. There's a, it's kind of a, f a few different things you can work with. You can set the tempo. You can set the, the level of swing. You can also, bizarrely, alter the pitch of your compositions by physically shaking the device for some reason when it's playing. Didn't know that. It just throws <laughs> it all out of whack. So it sounds terrible, but it's it's a, an intentional feature. So it's there if you want to play with it. It's like the way you could use use the analog stick to pitch bend the ocarina in uh, Ocarina of Time. Yeah, yeah. It's essentially doing that. It's, it's just moving uh, the pitch of notes up or down, uh, but seemingly at, at random, I guess. <laughs> but the core of the whole thing is just that it's a joy making little tunes. And I've always quite enjoyed making music with non-music things, if that makes sense. Like I played mm. a lot of MTV Music Generator on the PlayStation 2. 
I had a copy of Pocket Music on the Game Boy Advance, which was really poor, but I still put quite a lot of time into it. And then more mm. recently, you've got things like the Core Gadget on the Switch that you got oh, me a yeah. couple of years ago. Wasn't there one? Wasn't there a game on the Game Boy? There's a piece of homebrew for the original Game Boy called Nano Loop. That's it. And that's been used most notably by people like Chipsell, who did the music for Super Hexagon, oh. is in part composed on Nano Loop. So there are people using it. Kind of those sort of composers. I think I remember you getting it up and running on Dr. Clash Card. Yes, yes. Yeah. yeah, I think I definitely yeah. heard it then. Now, as Boogie Loops is, like I say, more of an application than a game, there's not a huge amount to say, really. So before you tell us a bit about how you got on, would you like to hear some of my little compositions, my poop pop yes. compositions? Yes, I would. <laughs> I would. <laughs> So how have you found this little musical toy box? Like you, I liked it. My biggest criticism is that it should have had some instructions with it. <laughs> yeah. Because when I, I started fiddling with it and I was, I was just getting annoyed because, again, a mixture of the performance and input being slightly laggy whilst also yeah. not really knowing what the buttons did and trying to figure that out just made it quite frustrating. I ended up just Googling at Boogie Loops controls and uh, there was just a really simple sort of uh, information thing that told me what all the buttons did. And I know that a lot of Playdate games, when you hit the home button, will have sometimes have additional options in there, yeah. like yeah. instructions or game settings and stuff like that. Like one page of information, it would be one yeah. screen of information just to say what things did, I think would, would go a long, long way to help. And also those performance things, because especially if you're trying to change the swing. Yeah. Who knows? Who knows if, <laughs> if, if, it's, if it's swinging more or if it's just got, got a bit of lag. It's interesting. It's like, there isn't really rhyme or reason to it either because sometimes mm. I've put something together and I, I put in a bunch of notes and think, oh, okay, I'm asking it to play like four sounds at once. So that polyphony, that's the type of thing you expect could be a problem. And sometimes it'll play that without a problem. And then the thing it does struggle with is just a single note on the end where yeah. it, it will just throw it off. Because a so, panda bear's doing a twirl. Exactly, exactly. Mm. Because it's it's put resources in perhaps the wrong place for, for what yeah. it wants to be. I wonder if it will get any sort of updates or patches to to improve that. Uh, I don't know, don't know. But I will say it is when you've got your head around how it works, it is really, really good fun. And it is satisfying just to have a limited tool set. Like one of the hardest things in being creative is having no rules. Yeah. And I think it was Oscar Wilde who said there was nothing more exciting but terrifying as a blank piece of paper. Yeah. It can be really, really overwhelming when I load up Logic to write a bit of music for something. You're like, I could do anything. I could do anything. You don't know <laughs> yeah. where to start. Whereas yeah. with Boogie Loops, you don't have that it, because it is limited, but it's got enough in there to make sort of multiple compositions feel like they've got enough variety that, yeah. you know, you want to keep doing more. 
and that's really good fun. And I've had a really good time just writing a few little melodies, just playing some, you know, playing around with some, some slight interesting modes. <laughs> uh, I mean, musical modes, not options, because there, 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 there are none. It's a really nice addition to the Playdate library. You know, it is, like you said, it's, it's more of an application than game. But again, it goes to show what the Playdate can do or what it's capable of, how you can use it, how you can think about it as, you know, a, a creative tool as well as, you know, an entertainment tool. The crank's not used in it, is it? No, it has no function at all. It's the first one we've had so far. And I wonder if there is something something to be used used there. Maybe it could be a, an, another input. You could use it to denote how fast it's going. Yeah, set the tempo. When you're composing, it's sort of auto-playing. Yeah, the only control you have, I think if you press B, it resets the whole track. But it would be good if you could just roll back like just part of a bar to then make yeah. a correction or change something. That would be so, useful. If you're listening, Boogie Loops developers... We've basically fixed your game for you, so. <laughs> yeah, a few little tweaks, and then you're looking at something that's even more fun than something that is really good fun. Yeah. say really really good second week of playdate games really really good additional couple of games added to the mix alongside the more arcadey white warper and casually birding everywhere just with those four games you've got a lot of options of different things you can do yeah quite a range isn't it yeah i tell you what next next time we do a playdate why don't we try and sideload a couple of games to talk about as well yeah sounds good That'd be good. I'd like to see what else is out there. I'm also excited to play week three's games, which are, Chris? We have Lost Your Marbles and Pick Pack Pup. Pick Pack Pup. That sounds dog-based. I'm, I'm definitely here for that. Lost Your Marbles sounds like it could even be accelerometer-based. Uh, it might not out, be. Eh? So there we go. That was our second play date. We were very, very happy to talk about Crankin's Time Travel Adventure and Boogie, Boogie Loops. Loops. Next week, we will be reporting back on our latest Fortnite challenge. Chris will be telling me how he has got on with the Game Boy Advance's first-person shoot-em-up X vs. Sever. Yes, I will. I will be reporting back on my Disney twofer, Castle of Illusion starring Mickey Mouse and Quackshot starring Donald Duck. If you've enjoyed this episode, if you've enjoyed any of our episodes, please do consider heading over to Patreon, patreon.com slash O3Cgames, and pledging a few pounds our way. Uh, we'd very, very much appreciate the support. It is vital to help us keep going, and we will also be giving you, in return, so much extra bonus stuff. There's, like, a dozen bonus episodes, full length. There's deleted scenes and outtakes. There's bonus video content, there's access to the Patreon-exclusive Discord server, and you will also get the entire episodes of this season ad-free, unedited, in video form. What a bonus. What a bonus. (laughs) Also, share the podcast on your social media platforms. Why not tag a friend and tell them about the show? Get them to listen. You can engage with us on our social media platforms. We are at O3C Games on everything. You can reach out to us individually as well. I'm on Twitter at Jonathan Dunn. I am at Chaz underscore Hodges. And please do join us next week where we report back on our first retro Fortnite challenge. 
<laughs> cool. And now a word from our sponsor. And now a word from our sponsor. And now a word from our sponsor. I'm Colette. And I'm Matt. It's time to talk about the most important topic facing humanity. Climate video games. Change. Oh, okay, video games. <laughs> Every week on Colette and Matt have entered the chat, we have in-depth conversations about the games we're currently playing. We also talk to people who make video games as well as YouTubers, writers, and podcasters that you already know and love. We also talk about what you're playing when you join our community. Subscribe to Colette and Matt have entered the chat wherever you get your favorite podcasts. The Hardcore Gaming 101 podcast is on a mission to rank the top games of all time. I like the idea that when Bruce Wayne gets angry, he switches to the Batman voice. Why do you have such a problem making boomerang shaped like a bat? You mean Jerk. like Batman? Not like Batman, just make it for me! Bruce Wayne, I can't even with this guy. It's a Herculean task, and I'd be lying if I said it hasn't taken a toll on our cognitive faculties. Most people would be happy to have a job during a global pandemic. <laughs> Dennis! Hardcore Gaming 101, twice a week, every week, right here on the HyperX Podcast Network. HyperX has refined their lightweight Cloud Stinger headset and now proudly presents the evolved Cloud Stinger, that's right, too. It still keeps the same rotating ear cups that you have come to love, swivel to mute microphone and comfort, but now adds two years of premium DTS Headphone X activation. Get even better in-game audio and a number of other refinements for the low, 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 low price of 50 US dollars. Available now at HyperX.com. <laughs> 